0: Snuff
1: production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. Today, we're briefing you on the big national apology from Anthony Albanese to survivors of thalidomide. So, this has been called the greatest pharmaceutical disaster in our history. It was the prescribing of a morning sickness drug to women in the 60s, even though authorities knew it could cause widespread birth defects. Today's apology is decades in the making and comes after years of cover-ups and lies. She only took one tablet too.
2: So what it did to me, I was born with little arms, I got three fingers out of each shoulder virtually, and um, I had a lot of heart and lung complications.
1: Yeah, that's Trish. You'll hear her story and find out what still needs to be done to help the nearly 150 survivors of the thalidomide. Uh, that is our briefing, a really interesting one. First, Here are the big stories of the day. It is Wednesday the 29th of November and I'm joined for the headlines by Antoinette Latouf.
0: The truce in Gaza has been extended beyond the initial four-day agreement and now enters its fifth day. Israeli hostages and Palestinians who've been detained and imprisoned, many without charge, have been freed as the ceasefire in Gaza continues. So far, it's been reported that 150 Palestinian women and children, 51 Israeli hostages, along with 19 people of a range of other nationalities, have been released under the hostage swap. And as the truce enters the fifth day, the deal can continue to be extended by 24 hours for every 10 additional freed Israelis in exchange for 30 Palestinians. But it should be noted that Israeli PM Benjamin Netanyahu has pledged to continue his bombing campaign after this swap and pause.
1: Mm. Look, it's good to see um, this agreement is working and people are being freed. Um, The numbers keep going up, which is good. And the other part of this is that lots of aid has been able to enter Gaza.
0: Yeah and I think um, it's been absolutely heartwarming seeing Israeli families reunited um seeing Palestinian families reunited after so much anguish it is it's so beautiful to see innocent people have those moments of joy with people that they've they love dearly and they've missed so much
1: And there's been another interesting day of cross examination in Bruce Liman's defamation trial Yesterday, Lehman admitted in court that Seven had been paying a year of his rent in exchange for two interviews earlier this year. Uh, Then Brittany Higgins took the stand and the Network 10 barrister outlined that on the night of the alleged rape, she had a blood alcohol reading of around 0.23%, which is more than four times the legal driving limit.
0: Brittany Higgins will also be cross-examined by Bruce Lerman's barrister, Steve Wybrow, and that's the same lawyer who questioned her in the criminal trial. And you may remember that the retrial of Lerman was aborted because of fears for Higgins. Um, The prosecutor said at the time that facing another trial would pose a significant and unacceptable risk to the life of the complainant. And a year later, and she's back in the stand.
1: And 41 construction workers who were trapped in a Himalayan mountain tunnel for 17 days have been rescued. So the workers were trapped in a collapsed tunnel in northern India since November 12. And they were kept alive because they were given food, water and oxygen and medicine through a small water pipe. My goodness. So... How did they get them out? Well, there was a specialist team of rat hole mining experts, they're called. Um, And basically, they work in this extremely risky practice where they made a passageway out of welded pipes. And then medical teams are on standby for health checks um, as soon as the workers were pulled from the tunnel.
0: Yeah, this has been a huge, absolute massive rescue mission which has grabbed the nation's attention um, and much of the world's attention for the past two weeks. There were several failed attempts to get them out, um, but, you know, Tom, I think the the world needs a good news story and they have delivered one. There have been enormous mm. celebrations across the country with their release. And I don't know, I can't help but think that, that there's maybe a movie and a book deal for those who were trapped. But I don't know, I want to hear more about these rat miners. So I reckon mm. um, there might be some deals going their way too.
1: Hopefully, Bollywood get onto this and we can see a Bollywood style musical about it. That'd be pretty cool. Would love that. All right, Katrina's up next with our briefing. We'll catch you later.
3: Now let's get into our briefing topic on the momentous apology to Australia's thalidomide survivors. Joining us is Trish Jackson. And Trish, this has been a really long campaign for you. Can you share with us what the apology means?
2: The apology, it has been a long fight, about six or seven years, I guess. And the apology, it won't change anything. It won't suddenly make my arms grow or or I'll suddenly be out of pain for my life. But it's recognition, I think, that the government did wrong and they need to learn that their decisions in parliament affect everybody's lives. And I hope that that is what the apology will mean to my parents. um, They're both 96. It's too little, too late for them. I mean, they're too frail to travel and a lot of parents aren't here anymore and the government should have done this a long, long time ago so that, you know, they could have been heard by all the parents and, you know, it's very sad. A lot of victims died at birth or soon after, so um, they never got to hear an apology either. How's your mum's
3: health? Do you think she grasps what's happening today?
2: Um, she does. Um, she's she's pretty – some days she's with it, some days she's not. But I told her when we were getting the apology, I said, oh, mum, they're finally going to give us the apology. And her eyes just lit up and she goes, oh oh, that's great. And then she just turned her head and looked out to the distance, like staring. And then she just said, I don't know how they got away with what they did to us for so long.
3: Trish, do you remember the first time you were told that you were a a thalidomide baby and, and how that all unfolded, how
2: you came to learn that story? Honestly, I have no recognition of being told I was thalidomide. I just knew I was like, but I don't remember being told by my parents that I was thalidomide. No. Mum was given the tablet for her migraines. So when the doctor gave her the tablet, a little bit later the news broke that thalidomide caused all these birth deformities and uh, a little bit later she realised she was pregnant, so she went back to her doctor to say, hey, you know, what are we going to do about this? I took the drug and now I've realised I'm pregnant. Um, but he had destroyed all her medical records by then. So there was no, and denied that she had ever been a patient of his. Oh my goodness. That's pretty heartbreaking. <laughs> but that's what happened back in those days. That I think the doctors were scared. Yeah, I think they were scared that they had given out the drugs, or I don't know. But yeah, that happened quite a lot. Wow. And that's why, you know, you it's really hard to prove that you are thalidomide because there's no records, and, you know, they got destroyed and there's, and there's no medical test to prove that you are thalidomide. And she only took one tablet too. So what it did to me, I was born with little arms, I have got three fingers out of each shoulder virtually, and um, I had a lot of heart and lung complications. So I've had a lot of open heart surgeries all my life, but I'm still here, <laughs> still fighting, but it's getting harder to fight. <laughs> And harder to put on a smile every day. You've speaking on your blog
3: about some of the cruelties you endured, particularly as a child. How difficult was that for you?
2: It was pretty difficult. I mean, I never thought I was disabled. I was just, in my eyes, I was just this cute little kid that had really, really cute little hands. And um, I had a heart that didn't work very well. So, and that's, that's how I saw myself as a kid. When I started school. They sent me to a special needs school and it was full of all these disabled kids and I hated it because I didn't think I belonged there. That was in Townsville and we moved to Brisbane so I could have all my heart surgeries. And I begged mum and dad to get into a normal school like my brother and sister. Mum went around all the schools in Brisbane and there was only one that would take me. And they were pretty good to me. They looked after me and and, yes, that was my life. <laughs> and I was really lucky at school. I had about six good class friends and they protected me from the bullies, but the bullies still got in there and, you know, kids can be so cruel. And even today when I go out, you know, I get laughed at, stared at by people walking past. And some will say the most horrific things as they walk past is just, you know, why do people need to think they can say things to me or anyone who's who doesn't look like everybody else,
3: so you you had this situation where your mum was prescribed this drug before she even knew she was pregnant with you, and then you know the doctor destroyed the medical records, so there was never ever any evidence that that was in fact the the drug that was prescribed to her. What was the impact on your mum throughout all of those years of knowing something in her heart and? there not being any concrete proof of that?
2: The only thing we had as proof was that mum was sick again with another migraine episode and a locum doctor came to visit her at home and in his notes he wrote that there was a bottle of thalidomide on her bedside table. That's the only proof that we ever had that I was thalidomide. And um, the guilt she puts up with is Um, she'll have it to her last breath. But no matter how many times I say, Mum, I don't blame you, it's not your fault, it doesn't matter, she still carries that guilt with her. And it's heartbreaking to watch because I don't blame her. It's not her fault.
3: And I know you've connected with some other survivors and you've heard other stories of, you know, what authorities knew but weren't telling women at the time. Can you just share a little bit of that knowledge with us?
2: Lisa McManus is the driving force of the thalidomide campaign against the government and she is a war horse and she is amazing and um, she has just done so much for us and all on her own. And she found documents from the government that the health minister of the day got a letter of warning about thalidomide and on that he wrote, no action needed because we don't want to alarm the public if he had stopped that, 20% of us wouldn't have been born, but he didn't stop it. And they still allowed the sale of the drug. I mean, you could go into a chemist and buy it without a prescription at one state and apparently it outsold aspirin. So that's how much the drug sold.
3: So you mentioned that your mum used it for a migraine, but what were some of the other reasons that women were either being prescribed thalidomide or were just buying it over the counter?
2: Mainly it was used for morning sickness and as a sedative to calm people down. So that's why the doctor gave it to mum to stop the vomiting associated with her migraines. It was in other medicines as well. It was in cough mixture. So you may not have known that you had taken it. They still use it today. They use it for cancer patients because it stops things growing. So it stops the cancer. But while it might be good for cancer, they're still getting the neuropathy pain that we all get. So there are side effects still
3: yeah absolutely now I know that now you do a lot of public speaking and advocacy work what would you like to come from this apology is it the greater public awareness is it also healing
2: what would you like to see from here I think the apology will be healing as I said before it won't change anything in my body or anybody's bodies but it's it's just recognition that the government did wrong and they played a huge part in the in the disaster here in Australia. But the apology is meaningless unless they work together to, because they have a health fund set up for us, which is awesome, but it is just so physically demanding to get anything out of it. It's just ridiculous. And so most survivors just don't bother because it's too hard. And unless the government fixed that, the apology is just a publicity stunt and I hope it's not a publicity stunt. And I hope that it will be a bipartisan apology because we haven't been told whether it is because the Liberals were in power when thalidomide happened so they have a huge part. But then Labor didn't fight for justice for us so they've both played their parts and roles in this disaster and they both need to apologise. And I hope that, you know, they learn that their decisions do affect everyday Australians' lives.
3: It's just such a shame, isn't it, that a lot of these mothers are now either, you know, in their 90s like your mum or some of them have probably passed on, never having had any recognition or
2: resolution. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, no one's ever said sorry to my mum. And it's not just the mums, it's the dads as well because you know, have had a ripple effect you know, it affected mum when she took that tablet, it affected me and it affected all my family. You know, my grandma, who I loved and adored, she would ring me every birthday and she would say, happy birthday, dear Trish. You know, if I was seven or 12, she'd just change the year and then she would, there would be this silence on the phone and then she would add, what a sad, sad day it was 12 years ago or 11 years ago. And like, you know, that really, it was gut-wrenching, but I knew that that's, she had to say that to me every year. And she's been gone for many, many years. But every, every birthday I wake up and those words just pop into my head. So she's still with me. But it just shows, you know, that it's not just us. It affected the whole family.
3: That was thalidomide survivor Trish Jackson. As Trish mentioned, an apology is probably quite hollow unless that survivor's support program is made easier to use. Uh, I was just looking at the website there and there are lump sum payments that are available and and ongoing tax exemptions. But as Trish said, um, you know, if there's so much red tape to even get to that funding and with so many people needing ongoing medical support, then an apology, while it might be very healing, doesn't practically mean much in your everyday life. Listener.